Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. I truly believe that thoughts are the greatest vehicle to change. We do not care whether the cat is black or white, as long as it can catch mice. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. To those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. U-turn if you want to. The ladies not for turning. It takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently is a quote from Warren Buffett. American investor, business tycoon, philanthropist, and the chairman and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway. I thought this was an appropriate quote for our guest today. The chairman of an investment house, one of the few companies that has been successfully managed by the same family from the outset, having built their reputation for more than 100 years. Our guest representing the fourth generation is Robert Milner. Chairman of Washington H. Sol Patterson and Company Limited. Having been listed in 1903, the company is the second oldest publicly listed company on the Australian Securities Exchange. Robert is also Chairman of Brickworks, BKI Investment Company, Milton Corporation, New Hope Corporation, and a Director of Apex Healthcare, Burhad, TPG Telecom, and Twice Limited. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Limitations, a show where we speak to elite world-class performing men and women and unlock the secrets and influences that have shaped their destinies and that you could apply to your own life. For our first-time listeners and followers from all over the world, please don't forget to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. And for our listeners in the United States, Malaysia and Sweden, a big hello. I am your host, Greg Robinson, Managing Partner of Blenheim Partners, the number one research-led executive search and board advisory firm. In this episode, we gain insights and cover the experiences of one of Australia's doyens in the investment industry and the broader business landscape, from joining as a director at a young age, maintaining the legacy and market reputation, never failing to pay a dividend to shareholders, and on to what the future holds. With investments across manufacturing, property, mining, bulk handling, pharmaceuticals, and telecommunications, Robert talks about the savviness required to navigate different and complex business environments all over the world, and affords us a glimpse into the mind of someone known for his ability to turn bargains into big returns. So sit back and enjoy. Pressure is a made-up word. Robert, welcome to the show. Well, nice to be here, Greg. Thank you. Where did you grow up, Robert? I'm a Sydney boy, born and bred, until uh, when I was about nine. Uh, my parents, well, the family before my parents, mm-hmm. bought a family property, and then a couple of years later, my father bought a property at Cowra, and I was already at school at that stage, at Newington College. So um, born in Sydney and spent most of my uh, life as a um, postal address at Cowra. Okay. Because I, I read during your life you spent a fair bit of time in the bush. That's obviously yeah. – Yeah. As that's I said, really that's the DNA, is it? Yeah. As I said, I went to school down here. Yep. Obviously, when I finished my HSC, um, I have no tertiary um, background. I, I went and worked with a stockbroker for a while. Okay. And um, and that was a very interesting time. Actually, it was during the Poseidon boom. Oh, wow. So sort of um, late 68, 69. So that was, that was very exciting. Yep. Make some good money during as a stockbroker. <laughs> I was very young and naive in those days. Yeah. Now, why why did you leave doing leave that and go back to um, the bush? I guess being at school after we bought those properties and you know, boarding school and only sort of uh, having limited time in the, in the country, I sort of had an inkling I wanted to go back. And um, we just bought another property at that stage, so that was exciting. What, so, what's what's on the uh, what's on the property? 
Um, the original one that I'm talking about is, is all cattle, and we just grow uh, a, a bit of winter forage there. But in the last um, 10 or 15 years, I bought quite a uh, large uh, agricultural area down on the Lachlan River at Cowra, yeah. which is irrigated. So Now, Mr. Jim Milner. Yeah. Sounds like he was pretty impactful in your life. He was my uncle. Mm-hmm. He was an amazing man. Okay. He was a POW in Singapore. Fortunate he was an officer and he um, didn't die on the death march. Okay. And uh, came back, a very hardened man. I think he was pretty hard when he, before he went, he was a front row forward. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he used to put, apparently he used to put newspaper down for his shin pads. Is that right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So he came back even hungrier and, and tougher than than when he went away. He, he was he'd been a great mentor for me. Mm-hmm. Gave me a lot of advice. Uh, he was the one that asked me to come back in 1984 if I'd like to sit on the board of Souls. Which in those days you, you obviously asked. I, I, I often thought it would have been nice for someone else to continue the the Pattinson because I'm the fourth generation Pattinson chairman, and my son Tom is uh, also sits on the board now. So he's the fifth. So there's a uh, there's a lot of history there. What is the history, Robert? Where where did it all begin? Because it's a um, such my a great great business. great great grandfather, who was Louis Pattinson, which is the, the Pattinson name. Mm-hmm. He came out in the 1860s, and actually, uh, the first Pattinson uh, pharmacy was in 1872. And then, um, in those early days, everybody knew everybody, and he became very friendly with uh, Caleb Soul. Yeah, he had a son called Washington. And um, Caleb wanted to sell out, and he didn't think his son was up to it. All right. So I'll show you what a great man old Louis was. He incorporated the name into the company, which is Washington 8 Soul Pattinson. So that was listed in, in 1903. 1903? Yeah. Success year after year. You're out in the bush, and Jim calls you to say, yeah. come and join the board. Yeah. Big call. Going back when I was in my early teenage years, we used to have a family meeting in Canberra every year, and you know all of my uncles and, and aunts and grandparents. My, grand, my grandmother was a Pattinson, and obviously my uh, grandfather was a Milner, mm-hmm. and he was a great man. He went to Gallipoli, came back, didn't know what he wanted to do after the First World War. Met his wife was, was May, who's my grandmother, and um, came out to Australia after the sea and started up a company called CIG. Consolidated Industrial Gases, yep. which was listed. So he was a great man in his own own right, and he, uh, he gave a lot of guidance, and he was a big influence on my life as well. So, so you, what, so from early on, you're always going to make a career in business? I wouldn't say that, but I was always interested in it. You know. what, well, things were pretty, you got to remember going back in, in those era, it was pretty yep. primitive. You know, there wasn't a lot of money around. No. You know, it wasn't to me, it wasn't until the sort of late 80s, early 90s. And I go back and relate now to when Commonwealth Bank and CSL floated. Yep. And, you know, had property prices explode and these sorts of things. And the wealth that's been created since those late 80s so what through when, to now is staggering. So when you go back all those years and they come in and have a chat to you, but you had been to the dinner table in discussion for many years before that. What were you learning, Robert? What was the fundamentals of business? You took well, we'd obviously the family had large equity holdings. Yeah. So I was always, you know, keen on, on shares. Yep. And the first thing that Jim said to me, he said, when you join the board, just sit there for the first few meetings and shut up and yep. don't ask any dumb questions. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. Well, it's very appropriate. <laughs> so what is the business? Soul Patch, you want to talk us through what do you guys do? We called a lot of things from a, from an investment house to a conglomerate. Yep. Um, we're very unusual. We're, we're the only one of our type which is listed on the market. As I mentioned, we've been around since 1903 in a listed entity. Never missed paying a dividend since 1903 through the Depression years, the war years, up until recently. Um, since the GFC, we're the only company that's been able to increase their dividend since the GFC. So there's a lot of... Um, a very proud track record there of rewarding our shareholders over a, over a long period of time. The philosophy? It's, it's all long-term? Yeah. You have to think long-term. For example, if you build a brick plant, it's going to run for 40 or 50 years. A coal mine you know, runs for a long period of time. With telecommunications. So most of our business is pharmacy. Yep. Most of our businesses are long-term focused. Is that how you choose your business? Yeah. When, when we look at a business... We've got a very um, very low overheads. We've only got less than twenty people in the in the in the head office. Okay, 
So we need to pick good people. And I think that's been our uh, track record over a long period of time. It's been able to, to pick the right people. We haven't always. We've made mistakes like everybody. But unless you've got good people, you, to me, you don't get very far. And when you look at a business, it's got to generate cash. And that's one of the reasons why we've been able to keep paying our dividends because we've got good cash-generating businesses. Do you look for businesses which are distressed when you, you acquire? What, what, well, it? obviously that was one of the one of the early things that Jim focused on was always have cash because when there's a downturn, you know, you move. When when others are hurting, you're there to. And it's it's not a good way of doing business, but that's life. Mm. When people are suffering, if you've got cash or credit. You can move very quickly. And I can I can remember in the GFC paying $22 for Macquarie Bank, $27 for Commonwealth Bank. Commonwealth Bank have returned more than $27 in dividends yeah, right. since that time. So we were able to do those sorts of purchases. TPG, I think, got down to $0.14. Cents. It's $7 now. You're in coal? Yep. Telecoms? Yep. Pharmacy? Yep. Okay, so we've got TPG? Yep. Uh, Which is now joined with Voda, Vodafone. So what's going to happen there? Unfortunately, due to the ACCC, we're two years behind Telstra and Optus. They've got a huge jump on us because they've been able to build up their um, network. But it's a good business. We've we've been very badly hurt, I must admit, in the last um, period of time with COVID. 90-odd million dollars uh, loss of income just in um, SIM cards from uh, foreign students and overseas travellers. Yeah, right. so these are the sort of things that people don't realise what's happening at, at the moment. But it's, it's a very, very good cash-generating business. Yeah, and what about coal? Coal is very good. Again, it's uh, New Hope's returned us over a billion dollars in special dividends. Mm-hmm. It's a dirty word at the moment, but yeah. we have Australia has the cleanest coal in the world. People don't realise 14% of the world don't have running water or power, 14%. So we have all these people running around in Australia we've got to close coal-fired power stations. We can't build gas-fired power stations. A sixth of the world are not in our position. They haven't got shelter over their heads, they haven't got running water and they haven't got power. So, Robert, you're in it for the long term then with coal? Yeah, yeah. We've been very badly hamstrung at the moment by the Queensland government. Yeah. We have a mine up there called Ackland. Uh, there's been coal mining up there for 90 years. We had an application in to go from 5 million tonnes to 7.5 million tonnes to 10 million tonnes, and that's been um, knocked back by government. We've, we've received all the legal ticks, Yes, but um, we're still waiting approval from the, um, the Queensland government. We've been laying off people, and unless we get some uh, acknowledgement from the Queensland government in the next few months, by the end of October, we'll have to close it down. So it'll be hundreds of people out of work. It's an enormous loss. A massive loss. But it's a, it's a National Party electorate. So what's happening out there then? What do you think of the discourse when it really, really comes to talking about long-term policy for this country? We've got to think long-term. You know, Not many things happen overnight. You, know? you build a freeway or transurban build a motorway or an airport. You know, They're there for, for decades. You know, there's too much short-term focus everywhere instead of, to me, long-term focus of what's the next generation or what are my grandkids going to inherit? It's a real worry, isn't it? Oh, it's a massive worry. And now we've got this massive amount of debt around the world that someone's got to pay back to somebody. And we're very lucky we're in a very, very low uh, interest rate environment. Mm -hmm. As as soon as interest rates will go up, the experts are saying not for a while, but there seems to be always something that triggers something that reacts down the track and all of a sudden the stock market's fallen over or stock market's gone up or interest rates have come down or interest rates have gone up. Something triggers it somewhere that I hope it doesn't happen, but well, COVID came out of the blue, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. rapid. Yeah. Well, yeah. what did you, you learn through COVID? I learned after six weeks that uh, being locked up at home, up in the country, that I needed to get back to work. <laughs> Bring around the bend. <laughs> but, you know, I'm a great believer at looking at people across the, the table and, you know, just looking at the colour of their eyes. It's, I find it very difficult to do these Zoom meetings and Microsoft meetings, etc. And And um, when you hear some of the surveys that um, some of these big companies are, are doing when you've got 20 or 30% of the, of the workforce says they do not want to come back to work, 
I, I think that's a frightening statistic. A lot of them are saying yes to it, you know. Well, what do you think is well, lip service? What do you reckon? I reckon, it's a, I reckon it's a massive debate about to happen here because if you look at the history of some of these technology companies yeah. uh, who are promoting yeah. a lot of this, yeah. they were built out in Western California, oh, yeah. away yeah. from the major yeah. cities. Yeah. where Everybody went there all day, had lunch there, et cetera, et cetera. Now they're telling us we, we, we dial in or yeah. stay in contact via, yeah. via home. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's no doubt there's been an amazing change in technology. Mm. You know, Without that technology, we, we couldn't do it. But I think one of the biggest problems, and particularly people in the CBDs have got, is people in lifts. You know, with with, this, with the COVID of, you know, one people to, or it was one point four, now it's sort of two square meters. So yeah. I think that's one of the big problems that the the multi big companies have, have faced. But I know Commonwealth Bank are trying to get back to sixty five percent of their their workforce back in the. Well, it's, all, it's all about quick decision making too, isn't it? And engagement and even mental. Well, you talk. You to look at a young person who starts that. Say, at one of the banks I mentioned, Commonwealth Bank. Yep. Comes in and is mentored by people that have been in that office for 10, 15, 20 years, giving great advice to these young ones. They're not getting any of that at the moment. They're missing out on that. So I would think there'd be a lot of young young ones starting up, working from home, sort of feeling a bit lost. You know, mm. when I can't go and ask somebody something or go and have a cup of tea with them and a chat about this or about that. I think it's very disturbing. Are we in a good a good business environment? It's strange when you when you when you're out and about. Some businesses are doing very well, yeah. and other businesses are, are really struggling. Lindsay Partridge and I, who's the managing director of, of Brickworks, of uh, we went to Tassie three weeks ago. Um, we went to Adelaide two weeks before Christmas, and then last week we um, flew from um, Sydney to Cairns, and then came Cairns, Townsville, Mackay, and then a day and a half in Brisbane, and. They are hurting up in the north. They're just not getting the travellers. What was your thought regarding the uh, the announcement about the uh, the half price fares? Well, it's got to help. It's, mm. it's, it's got to help. They are really bleeding up there, and, and that's their livelihood in North Queensland is is tourism. And unfortunately, we've had these borders being closed. We're we're in uh, one fifty one at Clarence, and there are nine businesses there. Nearly this time last year, there's four there now. Is that right? Yeah. I, I shudder to think what's happening in Melbourne. Yeah, absolutely. If that's the case, what's happening in Sydney? And then again, you can't buy, a, you know, a new car. You can't get a, a second-hand car. You, I know about it in the, in the rural property, trying to get parts for machinery, etc. It's incredibly difficult. Yeah. Is this the time, Robert, that um, government should actually look at a lot of opportunity in regards to business policy, tax reform, etc.? Why? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. cheap flights are great. That's yeah. a short-term yeah. stimulus, right? Yeah. But that's not getting yeah. young yeah. people to start yeah. thinking creative about yeah. creating new yeah. businesses, etc. Like what, do you, what do you think? As you said, Greg, at the end of the day, we've got to employ people. Employ people, pay tax. So the more people you've got working, the more tax the government receives. And I, I know you're going to ask me some questions about America later, and I'll yeah. give you some staggering figures on the cost comparisons between us and us oh, and America. Oh, do, do it now. Energy costs. We are three times more expensive uh, energy. And obviously when you when you cook bricks or make bricks, uh, you need gas at over 1100 Degrees, yeah, three times more expensive. Labor is two thirds, two thirds cheaper. Two thirds cheaper. Well, sorry, a third cheaper than than what it is here. Yeah, a lot more flexibility. Petrol prices are, are, are very expensive, and the second time Lindsay and I went over there, we had a request from government officials from Pennsylvania, come and talk to us. I said, Mister Milner, Mister Partridge, how can we help you? I said, Sir, I said I've never heard anything like this in Australia. I said, we get headbutted in Australia. Every time we go and get a process, we get rebucked. How can we help you? So he kept saying, what can we do for you to make your business more successful in America? So the willingness to open, open yeah. up and do business. Yeah. yeah, they're open for business. And I think half the time we're closed for business. Yeah, do you really believe that? Are we really closed? Is there too much red tape? Well, we can import bricks cheaper from Europe than we can from Perth by boat. Tell me how that works. Because the coastal shipping unions. And a container ship comes in from Singapore. It can't go Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney. It's got to go to one of the others and go back again. That's right. And we've got we've no flexibility in our labour force. And I think our taxation is is out of kilter. I, if I was if I was in, had anything to do with it, I'd be putting a GST up. You would? I think the average around the world is 18%. We're 10%. Yep. And reduce our taxes so people are more incentivised to spend. Why aren't we hearing this from business? 
Come on, why, why is it so quiet out there? Because this is an opportunity as a nation to come together and be smarter, isn't it? Yeah. It's, we're just, it's all Band-Aid stuff yeah, at the time. Well, that's right, yeah. yeah. It's, it's difficult to be in a position. The business council try and push push causes through, but you know, you've only got to watch people on the uh, debating in parliament. They don't, they don't talk about much. It's all sort of trivia, really, you know, what they're debating. They should be debating how we can get this country going again and the infighting between the federal government and the state governments and, you know, the federal health minister told everybody not to shut the borders and the state government shut them. So it's very difficult. So how do you place big bets like you do when they're so volatile at the moment? That's got to be the $64,000 question. Well, first of all, you've got to make sure you do your due diligence properly. That's the most important thing. And then if, you, if you're looking at something, you've got to look again look at the people. Yep. And to me, a company's got to have a good finance team. Is that what you're looking for? Eh? Unless you know, you know, at the end of the day, put it simply, what you're spending and what you what you're earning. Yep. You know, you've got to have, you've got to have a good financial, and that, that applies to a board. Yep. One of the most important positions on a board is the person who's chair of the audit committee. Again, you've got to you've got to know your numbers. When you go back to you said earlier, you said one of the big successes or strengths is your ability to choose. The right team, or the right leaders, you know, presenting. Yeah, yeah. What do you look for? Because there must be terrifically good salespeople coming out to oh, pitch, yeah. pitch to you all day long, isn't there? Yeah, I, th- I think a great lesson I've learned over a long period of time is look at when you look at someone's CV. If they've moved around, if in the last ten years have had three or four jobs, you've got to think, well, you know, how long is this person going to stay here? There's a lot of people moving. Yeah, I know they're chasing a rainbow, but Stability, unless you've got stability, and I've always been a great, great believer in uh, promoting from within. Mm-hmm. You know, particularly you know you've got to start at the bottom of a business, and and this is for example, I know I'm using Brickworks a bit as an example, but yep. you know we've got a great base, we've got a small operation in Tasmania, yep. so we send someone down there that we think is going to make it, and then if he does well, then he'll end up in Adelaide or Perth, and then. You know, he's got other opportunities. So, you know, you've got to start at the bottom and learn learn your business. And again, as I said earlier, it's all about good people. What about the boardroom? That's up for discussion every day of the week at the moment, the composition. Yeah. yeah again, I know one of, the, one of the points there, I don't know whether we're going to talk about it now or later, but um, you said you've had quite a few directors Talking about you know, are we talking about the business enough in a board yeah board meeting or or is it are, corporate are, governance or are we ticking a box? And to yeah. me, we're ticking too many boxes. You know, at the end of the day, we've got to make sure our staff get home in the same state as they came to work. So the safety is is very important. But we don't want to spend all day on it, and we don't want to spend all day on ESG and governance and risk. And I think in ten years' time, or maybe even less. We might struggle to get good people to sit on a board because do you want to be put through what some people have been put through? No, because the money yeah. one one the money yeah. doesn't pay. The yeah. workload's pretty high, oh, that's right. and yeah. then you get torn apart in the back yeah. page by yeah. uh, certain journalists. Oh, right. yeah. yeah, so uh, <laughs> my great grandfather Louis Pattinson, he said I should never have floated the company. Yeah, right. Well, this is back in nineteen hundred and three. Imagine if he was around now, he wouldn't. I know, I know, Jim. I, we used to go to we used to have annual meetings. Used to go for ten minutes. Is that right? Yeah. And annual reports used to be about twenty pages. What goes on today? For those out there listening, that you're coming through, the entrepreneurs out there, yeah. maybe one day want to float the business or contemplate it. What goes on in the boardroom today? Where? Well, I, I think you've got to have a. You've, the first thing you've got to do is when you make a decision, you've got to have consensus. You can't have a divided, it's like a football team or a, any sort of a team. Your board is a team. You've got to have a, a team that sticks together and thinks the same way. And there's some very, very good people. We're, we're very lucky. We've got some excellent, both men and women on our boards. And they joined the board originally to talk about telecommunications or brick making or if they're on the board of sales, all our different investments, et cetera, et cetera, or APIs pharmacy. You know, as I said, now we, we seem to getting bogged down and a meeting might go for four hours and, and your audit meetings and risk meetings and REM meetings and all these things are taking half the time. 
and adding very little to the actual outcome for the business. Well, they're, they're a necessity. We all need to do it. We're all very conscious of ESG and you know, we've got to we've got to leave the earth in a better place than when we came. And ninety nine percent of the people are doing it. And as I said before, we've got to make sure our staff are, are safe and well and well looked after. But you know, you've only got a limited time each month. The business is the one that pays the checks. Do you have too many meetings, Robert? I don't think we do. Oh, you don't? No, I think some companies have. It's very interesting. I find it quite interesting at the uh, at the end of the financial year when I start getting all the annual reports and I try and read most of them because we've got, particularly with the investment companies and Sol's has got a, quite a large equity portfolio as well, yep. seeing what some people are paid for five or six meetings a year. Yeah. You know. But a bit extraordinary. Yeah. And I think the other thing going back to boards is Directors have got to be very conscious of they're not the manager of the of the business, you know. We're there to set strategy. We're always happy to give advice, and I think you, you quite often former managing directors and CEOs join a board, and they were and I've seen it happen quite often, and they were quite offended if directors asked too many questions. But as soon as they get on the board, they're the ones that wanted to fire the bullets. Can't let go. Can't let go. Right. <laughs> What's the story behind New Hope? That's an interesting story. New Hope, we actually used to call it No Hope. <laughs> it was an underground operation in Ipswich. And people, my generation and older, will know that there was a lot of coal came out of um, out of that area because Swanbank Power Station virtually was the power for Queensland. It ran Queensland. It was a big power station. So we, we got involved, Frank Robinson, who was a stockbroker with Patrick Partners? He was the one that bought it to Jim, and uh, Frank had a, had a son, Graham, who was a very very good operator, and he went to Indonesia and married the Sultan of Jogjakarta's granddaughter, which opens doors in those parts of the world. So we ended up developing the Adaro coal mine, which is a when we sold it was doing twenty five million tons of coal a year, a massive project. We built a, a coal terminal um, and in that period of time, a bit like what we just went through six or eight months ago, the price of coal collapsed. So Souls used to own 60% of New Hope and the only reason we owned 60% of New Hope was because when we were developing those assets in Adaro in Indonesia, prices were, I think we were getting $19 a tonne in those days for coal. Yeah, right. And, of course, the banks wouldn't lend any money. So every time we needed money, we sold was issued equity in um, in New Hope. So that's how we owned um, 60% of New Hope at one stage. And then as we as we got developing, and I'll just go back a step, the reason why we got Adaro was a 30-year mining contract. But after 10 years, it had to be 50.1% owned by Indonesians. Oh, okay. So we had some um, Indonesians uh, as shareholders and then the – uh, Asian meltdown came, and they fell over like bloody drumsticks. <laughs> One bloke was doing business in, in in Russia, and another bloke was doing it. So anyway, then we got a, eventually got a good partner, and um, things picked up. And then someone came along and offered us five hundred million dollars. So it was getting very difficult to do business. We we couldn't do business like that over there. Now they loved U.S. dollars. Yeah, right. And you, there's no way you could do that sort of sort of business now. So we brought $500 million back here to Australia and that we put that money into Ackland and um, paid a nice little um, special dividend to shareholders. As I said, New Hope's paid out over a, a billion dollars in um, in special dividends alone. And now we own 80% of probably the lowest cost uh, thermal coal mine in Australia, which is Bengala. But again, early this year when everything else fell over, coal was $52 US a tonne. It's 88 Dollars at the moment, US dollars a ton. People forget how how quickly commodity prices recover from the depths. Copper, copper's well over four dollars a pound. It hasn't been that for a long time. It was two dollars twenty, two dollars thirty six or eight months ago. So, what's the future for coal? In, in all honesty, where, where, where are we going? Well, as I said, fourteen percent of the world hasn't got power or running water, yep. and they're still building these high energy, low emission coal-fired power stations are going to run for 40 or 50 years. 
China's I, I just haven't got the figures on the top of my head at the moment, but they're still building a massive number of these coal-fired powers, and they get, our coal is the cleanest in the world. So if people are fair income, they'll approve our coal. I don't know whether anyone ever watches that CNNBC program. Sometimes they have a shot of Hong Kong, you can't see it yeah, because of yeah. the pollution. Yeah, that's right. You know, but we've got the cleanest coal in the world, and gas. People are anti-gas at the moment as well. Right? We're all... All in favourable of renewables, but they're never going to heat a brick kiln at 1,100 degrees. So if we look at where the policy debates are going, we're, are we in a really good chance of actually having very limited power in, in putting ourselves in jeopardy? I think we will, yeah, because the sun doesn't shine all the time and the wind doesn't blow all the time and you've got manufacturing. Correct. Yeah. And we're right. not going to have that pretty no. soon, right? Like you no. say, price, price, price no. of energy is no. ridiculous, right? That's right. And what, hap- what happens in, in the middle of January when, well, I'm saying people are on holidays, but at the end of January people come back from work. Turn the air conditioning It's a hot on. day and everybody turns out at, up at Penrith where we know it gets very hot and turns yeah. their air conditioning on at the one time. I'm a great believer. You know, we, we, we're bringing in uh, roof tiles now from, from Europe. Yeah, okay which have solar panels in them. This is Brickworks? Yeah. Okay. And to me, all these new houses now, I know I'm tr- sound as I'm pushing my own product, but yeah. these houses should have these roof tiles on them, even if you run your own hot water out of your own house. Like all these things all add up. I don't think anyone's against renewables, but I think there's a place for everything going forward. The world's done so well because we've had cheap energy. The world wouldn't be in this position now if we didn't have cheap energy. You're going to buy any more coal assets then? Everything's for sale at a price. Yeah, we'd look at something. Yeah. Long term, you reckon we're still there? Well, as I said, I, I'm not disagreeing. With you. I reckon <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people won't say what you're saying, Robert. They're too well, scared I, to say I, it. I know. That's, I keep saying to people, for that, like what New Hope's doing, sell your shares. Fair enough. Brickworks expanding into the US. Yeah. And as you said, you've been well received. Yes. What have you learned from going into the US? They're good workers, so they up on technology. They're behind the technology. The bi- the business that we bought, the the um, brick making business, is very fragmented. There's a lot of particularly smaller players there. They haven't spent the money on the plants, mainly because labour's been so cheap. Most of the plants there have very little um, automation. Um, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Just because, for example, are they getting the Mexicans and uh, these cheap yeah, labour? Right. And most of it, they're still doing hand stacking and these sorts of things. But the scale, it's a massive market. And where, where, where we are in Philadelphia is, co- is close to the eastern coast, you know, the New Yorks, those sorts of places. Mm-hmm. Whereas anyone that's been over there, will, will, if you remember, there's a lot of brick, not only housing but universities and buildings yes. are all built in brick. And if you build a... And a uh, apartment in New York thirty years ago, and you need to replace. You've got to use the bricks from where they came from. So we're the largest player in that area. So I, I think we'll do well over there over time. When you're assessing your investments and your companies you're invested in, yeah. how far ahead are you thinking, Robert? Because it's hard to make decisions yeah. based on you know, the information in the world changing so rapidly yeah. these days. How do you? Take the big bet. Well, we've got some very good people within within Sol Patents and in our um, Pit Capital Partners, which is our investment bank. Yeah. And Todd Barlow, who used to run that, is now managing director of, uh, of Sol's. He's he's on top of everything. He's a very very smart young man. Yep. And um, we've got some very good people in there. You go back to America. Lindsay worked with CSR over in America. Yeah. So right. he knew how it worked. How it works. So. And we did a lot of DD, a lot of DD on it before we bought it, and that's again going back. Look at these investments. You've got to you've got to spend time and money and making sure your due diligence is right. So a lot of people come unstuck, going in a bit gung ho, and as much you put the money down, you can't get it back again. Can't get it back. <laughs> What's the story behind TPG? How did you guys get access to those shares? There's a story there, isn't there? Yeah, it's a very interesting long story. I don't want to bore everyone, but for five minutes, Kevin Parry owned NBN TV station when people can remember Christopher Scase and Alan Bond buggering up Channel 7 and Channel 9. He was doing the same thing with NBN at Newcastle, which was a Channel 9 affiliate, the highest-rating TV station in Australia. A helicopter used to go up for lunch every day. When When we bought it, Helicopter used to cost eight hundred dollars an hour to run it. 
So it's been nice lunches. <laughs> and the grog. So we 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 bought that thirty eight million dollars, and in a, a, a distressed state. When, as I said, after Skates and Bond had devastated seven and nine. Okay. And then a few years later, TV stations are very good cash generators. So a few years later, digital TV comes in. Mm. So we arrive up there, and, and management tell us it's going to cost us thirty million to go digital. We sort of all jumped and looked at each other, <laughs> and then then they thought about it. And when we sit at home watching our TV, very rarely do you lose picture or lose power. So we owned all our own transmitters and translators from Gosford to the Gold Coast and then out to places like Tamworth and Scone, okay. et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And then mobile phones came in and t- technology for phones came in. Yep. So to spread the coverage, we spent – $30 million going from Gosford to Sydney and the Gold Coast to Brisbane. In the meantime, Comindico was spending $270 million to go from Melbourne to Brisbane via inland. They put a cable in. So once we hooked that up and got going, then we went out to places like Tamworth and again, Scone, etc. And then we did a deal with Wind Television. So that took us all the way from Cairns all the way to Melbourne. And of course, we pushed out into places like Wagga and those bigger centres, yeah, uh, Toowoomba, etc., yeah. etc. Et yeah. and, um, and then we started a telecommunications company, again, because of the, the our network, etc. And then we bought, Community Co went broke, we paid $27 million for them, so that gave us all this massive fibre. <laughs> and then um, when James Packer sold off nine to the, to the private equity group, um, Jim and uh, I'll, um, Kerry had had an agreement because it was the biggest rating station for Channel 9. If, if you ever wanted to do anything, we'd come and talk to them and we'll take it off you. So I spoke to um, to James and they took that as part of the private equity deal. So that we got $250 million for that. This is all on a $38 million investment. And then we floated off SP Telemedia into the public arena, which we own a large shareholding in, and that's now our interest in TPG worth $7 billion. So it all started from a $38 million investment. Question for you, Robert. As a director and as chair, how much do you really need to know about each of these different businesses that you're involved in? I quite quite often say to people, I can't become an expert on anything, but I need to know quite a bit about quite a few things. What do you need to know about then? Well, obviously, you've got to keep your, you know, you've got to try and learn a bit about technology and, and pharmacy, which I've grown up with. And, yeah. Um, coal mining, that's been an experience, and how to make bricks. And, then, and now we're branching out into some other other, other businesses. So. And be a quick study, I guess, and a, and a good judge. Well, again, it's all about people. When we bought NBN, I couldn't, couldn't send anybody up there to run it. We, in those days, we've had 10 people on the head office. Yeah, right. And... Excellent people, good people, but just buggered around by um, the guy from from the West. Then you made some calls after that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we were very lucky to um, get involved with David Teo, yep. who I think is probably the best telecommunications person in Australia. What's he like? He's very, very smart. Yeah, yeah. Very private person, a lovely, yeah. lovely man. So where's the future there? Are you, gonna, are you guys going to become number one? Um, we've What's got the lowest cost of production again, and we've got the best backhaul, but we're two years behind. The ACCC cost us two years. So we've got to build infrastructure, build infrastructure. We'll get there. I think we've got a good product. Pharmacy. What's going on in that space? It's been a frustrating business. How is it? We used to own our... In, based, we were basically New South Wales. We had our own uh, retail, wholesaling and manufacturing. And for years, Sigma had, had wanted to do something and um, Symbian yep. had wanted to do something with us and then uh, API as well. And then eventually API made a, an offer that was a bit hard to refuse. So we ended up doing a deal and um, holding 25% of API. We still own 20, 20% of it, but it's a... Um, I've been trying to get some rationalisation in the. I'm not on the board anymore. I'm trying to get some rationalisation there. That's um, it's a it's a high volume, low margin business. Yeah. 
But um, I've been un- unable to get other people to listen because I think there's a lot of um, advantages there to be taken out with costs. For all those people out there who are the young, young business people, what's a good return, Robert? You're taking all this risk. Yeah, yeah, you're going to acquire yeah. that business. You're going to go ABC and Co. What, what do you? What's the minimum top return you'd take a bet on? It's always we like to aim for fifteen. Fifteen's a target you'd like to get, but you don't get that all the time. If you, if you can achieve that, it'll do very well. Okay, it's all about repaying the dividends, right? Well, as I said, we need to have good businesses that it one's going to generate good profits and good cash. You also go to the stage pretty regularly, from what I can gather, to go and see Mr. Buffett. <laughs> what, what's that all about? That is an, an unbelievable. In a place called Omaha, um, they use the basketball stadium, which holds 40,000 people, and then they have this massive hall, which, I don't know, would be two or three football fields, yeah, right. uh, with all representatives from all their different businesses. And anyone who, who knows Berkshire Hathaway, the number of businesses they have from railroads to candy stores to you know caravans and they actually own um, a brick business it, it's the scale the scale is just is just staggering you know and the thing is with Berkshire Hathaway they don't pay a dividend so you just you just yeah, sit down do and work it out if you make a hundred million dollars this year you reinvest that hundred million dollars next year it's probably worth whatever it's just compounding compounding where if we over here earn $100 million, a lot of people paying 50, 60, 70% out in, in uh, fully frank dividends. So you can see how by doing that, how, how he's been able to compound his returns. And they're, they're, t- they're two men, one's 88 and one's 94. And they're just they're staggering. I'm very sorry I couldn't go this year. And I, we won't be going this, this uh, last year. I mean, we won't be going this year because sooner or later, unfortunately, one of them will. You know, won't be with us. But what do you pick up most on? Is it is it their is it their intelligence gathering? Is it their gut feel? Well, how do they how do they come well, to these conclusions to make these? Like you say, they're unbelievably oh, he's partnership. Got, he's got billions of dollars sitting in the bank. Like he's almost at the scale now where he can't do anything to shift the dial. Yeah, right. And he was very very smart buying the insurance business because that finances everything. If you've got a again, if you use a hundred million dollars insurance. You're never going to lose that $100 million tomorrow. Yeah, so right. he's used that money to start buying these other businesses, knowing that that $100 million of insurance, is, he might lose 50 or 60 of it, but he's not going to lose all of it in five minutes. That's right. And he's been able to build this massive amount of scale. The whole scale of America is just, you know, to, compared to what we do here. And they, as I said, they're open for business. They want you there. They want, they want to help you. Decision making is as far swifter than it is here. Yeah, yeah, and they haven't got the uh, the regulations on them that we have here. You know, we had to spend a lot of money on, and which is a good thing, on uh, on the safety equipment and all the on the plants. Mm-hmm. You know, they're pretty gung ho over there with that, mm-hmm. which which is a good thing. But I'm just saying that's how they used to op- operate before, and they're good people. I like them. You do, do you? Yeah, yeah. Why hasn't there been another Buffett then? I think there's a lot of, I'd say, well, Buffett's massive, but there's a, there's a lot of, I call them mini Buffett's. <laughs> but no one is, no one's come anywhere near him, has they? Oh, no, no, no. There's, well, he's unique, he's a bit like us. No one, no one else does what he does, but it's, it's staggering. He still lives in the same house. That's right. And we drive, we drive past it. We're going to we're going to have a, have a massive stake where he goes and has a stake. <laughs> what well, does the other car, which has got hail damage still? <laughs> apparently, <or>? apparently, <laughs> What's next? Where's the economy going? What are you going to invest in next? Well, we've obviously been through a period of, of uncertainty. We've got a few things on the go at the moment. Uh, obviously, it's not appropriate to to leave where we're, where we're going, but I'd like to think if we could do some of these deals we're working on at the moment. We have some smaller investments that uh, we've put a couple hundred million dollars into agriculture in the last few years, into citrus and, and table grapes and those sorts of things where there's water. We've had a, uh, a copper and zinc mine yep. or mines, which with the commodity prices and unfortunately they weren't, weren't very well run there for a while, but again, they're spitting out a huge amount of cash at the moment. We've gone into a business called Aquatic Achievers, which is a swim school, 
We bought from a gentleman in um, in Rockhampton, right? And we're growing those. If you think about it, most kids in Australia learn to, learn to swim. Yep. yep. So we think we can do well out of that business. So we we know we haven't been sitting on our on our haunches waiting for something to happen. We're, as I said, we've got a very good team under Todd that are out there looking at things and. And again, we've never borrowed money. Never ever borrowed money until 12 months ago. Sales had never ever borrowed money. But with interest rates the way they are, yeah, right. you know, we're mad not to. And well, we've, had, we've had people come in knocking on our door. We can borrow money at 3%, can, can lend us money at 10 or 12%. Is that right? Yeah, right. We've got to be pretty careful with our DD on it, but you yeah. know. Where, where do you see inflation coming in? Well, it's interesting. The experts are saying interest rates and inflation are not going to happen for a while, but been cool. Yeah, yeah. What you, what do you say? I'm I'm a bit lost at the moment. To tell you the truth. Yeah, really. I don't think we all are. Well, I've never been in this environment before with interest rates where they are. No, mm-hmm. no one has. COVID's come about. We've got uncertainty in China, um, and I think there's a lot of uncertainty. What's what's going to happen in America with the change of government? Yeah, you were you uh, impressed with that? Where that's going or not? I think it's the same as what's happening in the world. Everybody's spending money like men possessed. You know, I know it's cheap and they're printing money, but you know, it's going to. Uh, you'd have to think if interest rates start rising, people have got to start to feel the pinch a little bit. Yeah, exactly. But we're all we're all in this. No one's been through this environment before. I'm quite amazed when I read and hear some of these people talking. What's going to happen? I, I don't know how they can predict because <laughs> <laughs> no one's been in this environment. Personal question for you. Yeah. Four generations? Yep. Pressure? I don't like the word pressure. I think that's a make-up word. All right. So, okay. Uh, What do you call it then? Oh, I've been dealt that number. I've got to make it work. Yep. Uh, The old saying, the first two make it and the third pisses it up against the wall. Yeah, exactly. We're into the fifth generation, so that's, you know, we're in uncharted waters again. But, uh, you know, I've been very lucky. I was well-mentored and well-groomed and I was told how to behave and not that I always did, but <laughs> no, but you know, I had good, good discipline in, installed in me, and, and I think I learned a lot of that at boarding school. Actually, did you really? Well, in those days, if you stepped out of line, you were flipped. You know, yeah, yeah. Mm. You learnt respect, you know. And I think my, our generation have learnt to, if you do well at work, you get promoted, you you go up the scale. But it, there's a bit of this now where you come out of university and you're the managing director tomorrow. You've got to learn the business. What's a good leader to you then? You must have seen plenty come and pitch themselves as leaders and you've appointed a few good ones. You've got a, a, a person, and I hope I've been reasonably successful in doing it, is, is developing a team. Like, as I said before, a board of the team. I think by picking the right people, yeah. you've got to listen to everybody's angles because not everything goes, well, we, we've made mistakes. So you've got to be a, a mentor, a coach, because you're at the end of the line. You know, I've got no one to fall back on. Buck stops with you, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And that's why I like to talk to my CEOs and MDs. They are in a lonely position as well. They can't go and talk to their 2IC or 3IC. You know, there's only one person they can come to is to come to the chairman. So I encourage my guys and I talk to them regularly on the phone or, or to have face-to-face meetings to give them the confidence to, to make them good leaders to – to encourage them because, as I said, they can get in a lonely place too. Yes, and you encourage them to take some pretty big calls, don't you? Well, you have to when you're a leader. You know, the buck stops with you. I think if you've got a good team around, it makes it a lot easier. And, and I've been very lucky. I've, I've got a stable marriage. I've been married 47 years, so I've, I've never had to worry about any of those sorts of things and my kids, touch wood, have all done well. And I've been very lucky with what I've done over the years. You also walk the floor a bit, don't you? Oh, got to. Yeah. We've just moved new offices. Yeah, we were in um, Pitt Street for 120 years. It was a, it was a very sad day when we left, but someone made us a, a very very good price. I think it's still the highest price per square meter in Sydney. All right, okay. And it wasn't a it wasn't an easy building to get around and, and talk to. And we're now it's open plan. I can walk in every morning when I'm there, and have a chat with them, and say good day and ask them how they're going. And I think that's important to show that you know if anyone wants to come and talk to you or. It's a difficult world summing up a leader, but you and everyone's going to be different in what they do. But I think getting that team together is the main. So how have you gone then communicating with you when you think about it? You like to meet people face to face. You like oh. to look at me. What's 
what's going on yeah. when you look in their eyes, right? I love going around a brick plant talking to the bloke running the bloody brick plant. How are you going? And it's so easy now if you're in the, in the um, southern states because you're either a crow or an eagle or a hawk or somebody. That's right. But, you know, I'm happy to chat. I'll go and have a beer with anybody. We don't live in a privileged lifestyle, the Milner family. We're very down-to-earth people. And I, as I said, I'll go and have a beer or chat with anybody. Are you going via Zoom now then? <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you think you're missing out on really? Yeah. As I said earlier, we're, um, we're missing that contact. And it's nice after the meeting to have a chat with somebody and ask them how their family is or how their footy team's going or if they've been on holidays or... I'm a great believer in you work hard when you work, but have a bit of time for a bit of a bit of leisure and pleasure. Fair enough. Where's this economy headed, Robert? I think the next couple of weeks is obviously going to be fairly crucial with with JobKeeper finishing and how and when the banks, if they call some of these loans yeah, in. Yeah. yeah. But you know, as I said earlier, the housing housing industry is booming. It's yeah, but that's going to drive inflation, surely to God, isn't it? Well, you'd have to think so. You'd have to think so. More people come back to work, more start spending and driving up inflation. And then the infrastructure spend is going to have a lag time, so that's not yeah. going to be a, no. a quick no. fix at all. Well, I was just talking to a, a chap this morning who's one of the biggest bricklayers in in, um, in Australia. He said it's quietened down in Brisbane and in the CBD. And, and I have to think too, after the um, what's been going on here at the moment, it's got to quieten down here because... Again, we're talking about office space. No, yep. I wouldn't think anyone's building office space for a while. That's true. Unless we get tourists back, there will be no more hotels or many apartments built, I wouldn't have thought. So so do you, do you think the powers to be in the governments, you know, state and federal, have really come to grips of what business are dealing with? As you said earlier, what was the number you said you've lost because of university students haven't turned up? 90 million. 90 million. Uh, uh, that's just one little business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to be critical of, of, of politicians, but very few of them have worked in the real world. You know, as I said, I don't want to be critical. That's that's a path they've taken. Yeah. But um, you know, I take my hat off to the to the hours they work. But you know, at the end of the day, do they really understand business? Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's, that's the big question, you know, isn't it? As I think I mentioned earlier, the more people you have in work, the more tax they get, the more government money comes in. It's, to me, it's pretty simple. But we're not doing it, <laughs> are we? No, there's too much politics. You, know. you get to Singapore a fair bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What could we learn from Singapore? We've got a pharmaceutical interest over there. Um, a chap called uh, Key came to Sydney in 1951 to do his pharmacy apprenticeship and did it with Sol Pattinson and went back to Singapore, very successful, Started a chain of pharmacies called Apex Pharmacies. Uh, Watson's has since taken them over. And he came back out and said to Jim, would you be interested in a joint venture in uh, Malacca in building a, uh, a manufacturing facility? So we did. And that is now floated on the Malaysian Stock Exchange. So I go over five or six times a year for, for board meetings. And um, it's, it's, it's a very... Good place to do business, very safe, encouraging. Yeah. You know, a lot of incentive for, for uh, business coming in. Yep. But they're, they're in a bloody bit of a sorry side at the moment because most of their workforce comes in from Malaysia and Malaysia's full of COVID apparently. So standing back then, we're looking at, well, okay, opportunities for Australia uh, on, on the global stage to really play our hand. Where should we play? And also, second part of the question, where, where's China going to take us? Well, we're basically a commodity exporting country and we're having a good ride at the moment on uh, commodities. And if you believe what the experts are telling us, uh, we're in for a few years of high commodity prices. As I mentioned, we've got copper, which is going to be used for electric vehicles. Yes. Um, nickel, yep. zinc, these types of um, cobalt, uh, lithium, all these types of products. That are, and we're lucky and we're very good at what we do at, in, in mining. Um, agriculture is, is very strong. We're very good at agriculture. So on a commodity front, I think we're we're in good shape. But the second part of your question is that a lot of it goes to China. Well, we we buy a lot of steel back from them, don't yeah, we? Yeah. So I, I'm a great believer. I th I think India is going to be the powerhouse. I was only talking to someone the other day. How do how do we invest 
in India and make money going forward. So Japan, I know I'm jumping around a little no, bit that's here. that's right, yeah. Um, the stats are telling us that Japan is going to go from 125 million people to 100 million people by 2050. And China is going to have the same problem because they've had this one-child policy, yeah. whereas India haven't had these policies. So you're going to see a dramatic surging in growth. And people that were there well, two years ago now because of COVID were saying that they're starting to build high-rise apartments. Uh, the roads are, are starting to be built. So you're going to start to see India, uh, I think, in, in years to come, become a real powerhouse. And they're, and they're not as aggressive as the Chinese. What is Sol Pat's doing there? In India, nothing. You're going to? You're building those relationships? We've had quite a few uh, dealings with them over the years through coal. Yeah. So there, there are... It's challenging, isn't it? Well, you said that, not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a different culture. Absolutely. Yeah, different culture. And same as the Chinese, are difficult to deal with. And I think one thing we've learnt, and I think some of that I've learned in Singapore is when you deal with the Japanese, and of course we sell a lot of lot of coal in Japan, is its relationships. And when you're dealing with foreign people at all, you need to build up relationships. Yeah, yeah. Now going back to what you said a few minutes ago, you're pretty much painting us out as a um, commodity country. Australia. Yeah, yeah. So, and the government knows that and yeah. the government's going to yeah. pump that through yeah. for the next few years and they win a few elections, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Where's phase two? You know, like you told, where's there's no, is manufacturing going to exist? You've already talked about the price of energy. Well, we've priced ourselves out of existence, unfortunately, on our wage costs. Uh, we can't. We can't compete. The car plant they had down at Geelong down there. Uh, like sweeping the floor was on $120,000 a year. And and the scale. I think when I was last time I was in America, someone told me the smallest run they had in America was a, was a, making a Ford line of half a million cars. It was the lowest. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So you know we were producing what fifty, sixty thousand cars. So on on our costs, we I don't know how we get. I think technology, technical things we can do very well at. But the, you know, yeah, the, but can we? Can we, can we actually, from your side of things, can we actually make a buck out of it or do we have to go to the US to make the money well, out of it? I'm, I'm old. I'm not up to speed as much as I probably should be on a lot of technology, but I think there's a there's a good avenue there for us to do well. Okay. You know, I know through TPG the technology that, that's coming. Uh, what about the health sector? Where do you see that going? Again, it's a difficult sector. Um, we've just had this Royal Commission in, into the... Um, Aged care. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, a lot of us have been at the stage where we've put aunts or uncles or parents into these nursing homes. You wouldn't put a dog in some of them. That's right. You know, I don't know why it's taken them so long to realise that what's wrong with it. But again, you've got to pay a lot of people to look after somebody, and, and labour's not cheap. It's just difficult to put your money into something that, with a lot of people, how are you going to get a return out of it? So where do you stand on the whole debate around immigration then? I think we need a more – we've got to get more people in here, but we've got to get people with skills. And where would you put them? Are you going to put them in Sydney and Melbourne like we seem to do every time? We're open our, uh, yeah. you know, and just populate yeah. the city and never have any yeah. other support? Yeah. And Okay, you go to the bush on a pretty regular yeah, basis. Yeah, yeah. How bad is it out there? Well, while you're asking that question, I was just thinking that. For example, Cowra, mm. where I have properties, a beautiful hospital, big hospital, Probably half full, and I've I've been maintaining for a long time that there should have been incentivising people to go to regional. Mm. Um, unfortunately, we haven't got a, a a rail system, but the trucks run up and down the the, the Newell Highway and the Pacific Highway. So whether you're in, in land on the Newell Highway, you can get um, produce and equipment up and down from Sydney to Brisbane, quite, and then to Adelaide. So there's no reason why we shouldn't be populating, and it's cheaper. Mm. We've got a house in Sydney for $2 million. You can go out there and buy a very good house for four or $500,000. But if I'm not a cocky running the bit, running the farm, yeah. how am I going? I'm struggling, aren't I? Majority, um, majority of Australia, out in the bush? Yeah, there are some good businesses out there. There's some good business abattoirs, type, those types of businesses, furniture businesses, businesses that are supplying, as you said, farmers. Yeah, okay. But there's, there's no reason why there shouldn't be more those sorts of businesses 
out in those regional areas. And you go to a Tamworth, Dubbo, Orange, Bathurst, Wagga now, yep. you've got everything there. There's universities there, That's good right. medical facilities. Yep. So you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't be populating those areas. Robert, a little while back you mentioned that uh, you didn't go to university. Yep. And you're seeing the best of the best coming out of universities and the young people pushing their yep. ideas to get yep. investments from you. What's your thoughts on education? Going back to the, to the first point when I, I didn't have a tertiary education, there was only virtually Sydney University and, and Macquarie Uni and, and University in New South Wales had only just started. So yeah, that, right. there wasn't a – not that I was ever interested or wanted to go to university because I was um, when I was offered that when I was younger to go and work with a stockbroker, I jumped at that. But I think today there's probably too many kids at university that shouldn't be at university, too many kids being pushed to stay on after year 10. And one of the things – in some of the businesses that we were in, they can't get apprentices. So why aren't we incentivising kids after year 10 to become a bricklayer or a plumber or whatever? Sparky. Yeah. And they can earn very, very big money. They're outdoors and they're not in front of one of those screens all day, which is you know can't be doing people any good. For example, last week in, in North Queensland, they're crying out for uh, block layers. Is that right? Because up in North Queensland, there's no clay, and now with the um, the cyclones, it's, all the uh, buildings now out of block, reinforced block, and the builders up there are all complaining they can't get block layers, and most trades down here in the uh, Sydney and Melbourne are the same, can't get people. Uh, so we're not having the debate properly about the value of moving on, making yourself your own life at the age of sixteen as opposed to eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Well, yes, yes, but that's that's a very valid point. But if you do one of these courses at university, yep. hey, what job are you going to go into? Like, no guarantees out there at the moment. And you're assured of, if you're, as I said, being, being an apprentice. And again, there should be incentives for, for uh, business to employ uh, apprentices. Couldn't agree more. Sport. Yep. Pretty big factor in your life. Yeah, I've always been involved. Played a lot of cricket in my day, a lot of rugby. My wife tells me I watch too much now on the weekends, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's it, sport is a great, particularly I think if you're in a team, it, it builds a team. I've never, I was never a swimmer or, or an athlete, but now I've had a lot of lot of fun out of playing team sport and being involved with guys. I still see a lot of them. I used to play cricket and football with them, and it's no different to a board. You know, you're in a team, you've all got to work together and pull together and. And we're very lucky in Australia that, you know, the climate we've got, we can, you know, sort of watch anything at any time. And well, it teaches a lot about values and character, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. In your business life, is your word your bond? Is that how you – is that how you, the ethos of the Soul Pats business? Yeah, I, I think, I'd like to think of people – Rob Milner's been a very trustworthy, respectful person that his word is his word. Like, I'm happy to shake hands with somebody on a deal and I'll stick to it. Robert, we've covered off a lot today. Yeah. But you haven't covered off any mistakes you've ever made. Well, we've all made mistakes, every one of us. I'll give you an example of probably the, the worst one we made. Um, someone bought us a company called Balfour's. Anyone who lives in South Australia would know who Balfour's are. They're a famous confectionery company, cakes, cookies, all those types of things. Very, very – they would be the brand in South Australia. And we thought with the – the expansion of supermarkets and you know, it would be a good business to go into. Unfortunately, we didn't manage that business very well and at the end of the day, Coles and Woolies screwed us down too much and we, we couldn't we couldn't make it work. So that's probably the biggest, biggest mistake and I think we all learned a lot from that. Um, we probably didn't do our due diligence as well as we should have and again – the business that we bought didn't have the management in there that you know could run that business successfully. Do people take accountability when you're going through a look at the failure? Oh, I don't think so. I think we've all all made mistakes. You know, it's part of life. It wouldn't be anyone listening to this that hasn't made a mistake in their life. You've got to be man enough to fess up and say, I, I made this bad mistake or I did that. You're naturally born risk taker? Obviously, but... A conservative one. <laughs> no one wants to to blow a company up. 
you know, and a lot of people. You have a look over the last 30 years, BHP nearly went to the wall. Yeah. Westpac nearly went to the wall. Most of our big companies have been five minutes away from cracking. Uh, we've never been in that position. We've always been in a strong position, you know, even though we've made the odd mistake. So what, so what motivates you, Robert, at the end of the day? You know, like you've done obviously financially well personally. You've got good friends and yet you're still coming in working these hours. Yeah. You still want to do that, that yeah. next deal. What, what drives you? I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it if I didn't. I, I, I enjoy it. I guess I'm fortunate in a lot of ways. I'm not actually employed by anybody. So my hours are, are mine. COVID's made a bit of a – changed my lifestyle dramatically. I used to do a lot of travelling. Uh, before COVID, as, as I mentioned, which, particularly since we bought that American business, and I go to Asia, which wasn't bad. I used to take my wife twice a year, and we go to Bali for a, a long weekend. <laughs> and you know, obviously, you know, when you've got Australia-wide businesses, the board of API used to travel quite a bit. Um, New Hope up and down to, to Brisbane, and um, obviously Brickworks is a national business. So I, I was away at least two weeks every month. So um, you know, I, I enjoy it and I love meeting people. I'm happy. I'm happy to talk to anybody and try and le- learn something from them. So, when you call it a day, what's success going to look like then? Oh, if I can leave leave the company in a better state than what it was when I started, I'll be very happy. I'm not sure whether my wife's waiting for that day or not, but anyway. <laughs> Fair enough, Robert. If you were looking back at that young man who was tapped on the shoulder by Uncle Jim to come and join that board all those years ago. What advice would you give him today? Do what you've done. I've got no regrets of what I've done. I've, as I said before, I've had a wonderful life. I've been in a very good position to, and hopefully I've taken advantage of it. Again, I've, I've had good support from family, particularly my wife and, and family. But I think I've probably been a bit conservative. I think there's probably some things we probably should have done that we haven't done. As I said, we've, up until recently, we never borrowed money. But you've got to look at our track record. The business is bigger and better than when, I, when we started. I've had some fantastic people that have put that into place for me. But we haven't, you know, we haven't blown the place up. You know, I'm sure the, the press would love to read you know, the fourth generation chairman's blowing the place up. But you know, we've 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 gone about our our thought processes and our investments in a very methodical um, way. As I said before, we haven't always made the right decisions. We've made some bad mistakes. But you know, at the end of the day, we've made more good ones than bad ones, and we're, we're, we're going along very well. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Greg. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to No Limitations. 